jump into our message this morning. You did a fantastic job singing out this morning. I know some of those songs might have been new, but great job singing this morning. God bless you. You did a fantastic job. And I love hearing God's people sing praises to God, about God. And I'm thrilled this series that we've started. And if this is your first week here, first time here, we're honored to have you with us. We're excited about what God is doing in our church. We're about eight and a half months old. We're a new church, and we just started not too long ago. But God's done some incredible things, and we're just honored and blessed that you would be here, that you would visit, and uh, you are our VIP, our special guest this morning. And we are going to be in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number three, and we're just still in the beginning stages of an eight-week series that we're entitling God Is. And we started this series just to get a bigger look at who God is. Last week I was talking about how I I, uh, do a little, I don't work out real heavily, but my wife and I, we're doing the whole P90X thing. And we don't have a lot of time, but we we just kind of delegate a small portion of our time, and uh, we'll go through P90X. And one of the big things about P90X that uh, Tony, the instructor, if you've seen the videos, his big thing is all about working your core. He talks about how a lot of times people just want to work their arms and their legs, but he said it's the core that's really important to get a strong core. And uh, I thought about it spiritually. You and I, we love to talk about the extremities in the Christian life. We love to talk about relationship. We want to talk about God's love. And we want to talk about these external issues. And we miss that the central theme of the Bible is God. And each page is the unveiling or the revealing of the nature and character of God. Everything points to God. Somebody said you could cut the Bible and wherever you cut it, it would bleed red as in a picture of Jesus Christ. And it just points to God. And so we're taking eight weeks, the longest series we've ever done. And we're just kind of getting in the trenches, studying the nature and character of God. And uh, we started out just talking about how, how God is bigger, God is better, and God is greater. Because you and I, we kind of chalk God up to our biggest failure or our greatest fear. And God doesn't seem bigger than those. And that's why we kind of are afraid of things and we won't launch out and do what God has called us to do because we've just kind of downsized God just to kind of, uh, he's a little bit bigger, he's a little bit better, he's a little bit greater. But no, no, God is bigger, better, and greater. Last week we talked about how God is here. And we talked about the omnipotent, presence of God that was our theological word that we kind of jumped into and studied and unpacked that and we looked at the life of Joseph how you can trace Joseph's life to see how God was there in the middle of all that happened in the life of Joseph there was God and we said that God is not only here but God was there when we thought what is happening the world seems to be falling apart where is God and God says hey I'm there and then God also says not only was I am I here not only was I there but I will be there in the future because God is omnipresent and that's how it applies to your life and to mine and this week we're going to talk about that God is infinite And I know we know that, but the reality is um, that doesn't often affect our life because we don't see the connections often. And I feel like it's my job as a pastor to say what you feel because sometimes you won't always say it. All right. So hear me out. So if God is all powerful, God is almighty, God is infinite, that means no limitations. That means there's that means God no, he cannot build a rock that he cannot lift and there none of that plays into it. But if God is so strong and you're his child, why do we still fall for temptation? Why do we still mess up? Why for some of us getting to church on time meant breaking the speed limit it meant yelling at the kids it meant just like running through the house crazy because the devil fought you like every single step of the way getting to church and it just seems like man if god's so infinite why does it seem like my life i struggle so much if god is so infinite 
And we think it, we feel it, we may not always voice it, and I feel like it's my job as a pastor to speak into that, to speak into why we struggle with temptation, why we still struggle with being the type of Christian we want to be. Because I don't know about you, but I have my good days and I have my bad days. You say, what do you mean? I have my Christian days, my days where it seems like I wake up singing the praises of God, quoting the Psalms, kiss my wife, hug my kids, go to work, and my whole day is just me playing and writing psalms on my harp. You know, I get home, I eat dinner, I do the dishes, I play with the kids, and then I tell my wife, what must I do, you know, to love you more? And then I go and I pray for the next three and a half hours for you. Like, you have those kind of days, and then you got the days where you just feel like you're the devil, man, just kind of reincarnated. I mean, just like you woke up that morning, you you slapped the dog, you know, and then you got mad yelled at the kids and i mean you just you kick in the car next to you you're just mad at the world driving to work speeding the coffee spills on you so now you got this coffee stain and everybody else thinks you had an accident you can't explain it so they make fun of you and your day just doesn't get any better from there it's just all downhill and you're just thinking god how come there's the christian me and then i revert back to like the pre-christian me where it's just like i could be cussing and i could be lying and i could be cheating and i could be doing all this stuff god if you're so infinite if you're so mighty why do i still act so screwed up sometimes i mean how is this and and we deal with this we wrestle with this and and maybe maybe you don't worry about those things maybe your life is perfect okay and if you're one of those perfect kind of people god bless you this isn't your church okay i'm telling you what for the rest of us real people in here that that life sometimes we just mess up because we're sinners where sometimes we just feel like i am trying and i am working but it seems like one step forward 10 steps backward in my christian life and i just want something to change and so i believe that we can through this series we're going to see a view of god that really will help us with those because i'm tired of and maybe you can use this is the best way i can illustrate it you ever met somebody and they just work out i mean you could tell they're a bodybuilder and then you meet their spouse and their spouse is also huge like um you know uh, the guy he can bench press like 500 pounds he's just got muscles on muscles just huge and then you meet his wife and his wife's like hello you know and i mean she's kind of scary you know and uh, uh she can sing bass you know and you're just kind of like wow she's scary too and then you see their kids and their kids are like glasses skinny old beasting arms you know just like nothing you're just like like <laughs> what happened like there's this disconnect here or something you know and uh sometimes that's how i feel like god is awesome he's huge he's all powerful and i'm the wimpy kid you know like man or or i could use this analogy we've got some some people who are very smart intellectual people in here and uh uh, you know, you're just, you're very smart. You met those people, they're brilliant. The husband and wife, both engineers, you know, they got their doctor degrees. They got all these degrees. They went to all these colleges, and they're just brilliant. And then you meet their kids. The kids can barely tie their shoes or, you know, zip up their pants, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, slightly drooling out one cheek. You're like, uh, you know what I mean? You're just like, what happened? The parents are like geniuses, and you're like a mongoloid. Like, I don't get this, you know, like, how did this happen? You know, there's just this this distance here, you know, and it's because sometimes that's why I feel like, God, you're so infinite, you're so wise, and I feel so stupid, so dumb sometimes. How does this happen? How did I get to this point, God? What can I do? And I believe as we see that God is infinite and how that applies to our life, it's going to change that. It's going to change how you react and how you respond to things because God has something here that I believe will really help you and really be a blessing to you because I feel like often that I'm struggling between the Christian me and the pre-Christian me and I want to see God do something great through it because as we look at God as infinite, you just have to go to Genesis 1-1 where the Bible says that in, in the beginning, God created. And I could just stop there that's not the text, but I could just say Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created, and that right there speaks to the infinite power of God. Now, some people would debate Genesis 1-1. They would say, and they would say something like, no, 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 that's, that's not how it happened. God had a little, little help. An infinite being doesn't need help. 
okay? An infinite being didn't need something else to come alongside and to help it. Some people say, no, 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 there's this thing. You haven't heard about it, Pastor Micaiah, because you went to a Bible college and not to a real college, and so that's why you haven't heard about it, and we'll, we, it's okay. And so it's this thing called evolution. You maybe missed it at the Bible college because you didn't go to a real college, and I went to a real college. And so let me tell you about evolution, and let me tell you this process, because Genesis 1-1, you know, God didn't create, you know, like God can save you, but he didn't, he didn't really create. You don't, you don't really think that. But I want you to understand something here, okay? Let's take God out of the equation. Let's just remove him for a second. Let's go with your logic just for a second because we're talking about that God is infinite. Nothing. So you're saying nothing. Nothing. And right now in my hands, you would say there is, is there anything in my hands? This is not a trick question. I'm not a magician. There's nothing in my sleeve. Would you say there's anything? Now, there's some of you that are really intellectual. You're like, there is dust particles and there's oxygen and there's, yeah, there's stuff in your hand, man. No, no, I mean, really, there's, there's nothing in my hand like stuff, okay? I don't have stuff in my hand, okay? So there's no stuff. Yes, there may be oxygen and those particles, but I mean, in my hands, there's nothing. Now, all of a sudden, I would love a double-double from in and out. It may take a while, guys. It's not going to happen, is it? Nothing is not going to create something. Nothing can't. Nothing can't create anything. And yet so many times we say, well, well, God in his infinite power, how did he do it? God spoke it into existence because nothing can't create anything. I remember one time I was golfing. I'm not a very good golfer, but I like to golf sometimes. And I was 15 years old. I grew up in a pastor's home. And so oftentimes, you know, it's just kind of ingrained in you. And really out of a desire to share Christ with others and to invite others to church, you, you just talk to people about God and about religion and about things like that. And so I remember I was playing with this guy, and he was really good. The, he's the only person I've ever played with who got a hole in one, okay? And he's just really good player, and uh, so just had fun. And uh, I'm kind of competitive, and so when somebody's really good, you know, I, I, I don't like that. And so I started talking to him about religion. And he said, hey, we don't talk about politics, we don't talk about religion. But I noticed it threw him off his game. So I was like, yes, we will talk about religion. And so, you know, I, I, I talked to him about God, and he's like, and, you know, he started doing worse. And that made me happy because I wasn't doing better, but he wasn't doing better either. So I was okay with this. So we just started talking, and he was like, look, man. And I was just 15, and he was older than me and everything. And my buddy from church, he was with me. His name's Kalen. He's still back in Fresno, and we were doing a two-some thing. And uh, we're playing golf, and this guy, he's like, look, okay, there's many ways to heaven. He's like, it's a mountain. There's lots of different paths. You pick the one that works for you. We're all ending up at the same place. I said, really? Where could I, I mean, if I wanted to learn more about that, where could I, what book could I read to get to that conclusion? And he was like, well, it's not really in one book. I was like, okay. Well, what person could I follow that they've lived this out, that they proved that your, your thought is, it, it works. Like, like they died, they went to heaven, and then they come, came back three days later, and they told you all about it. Like, like who could I follow in history? Well, well, you, well you can't. Well, like, I, where could I go and, and worship this and learn more about this? Like, where do I go to, to learn more about your religious system? He said, there really isn't a place. I said, so, so I'm not very smart. I'm only 15, but sounds to me like you made this up. <laughs> and he got really mad. He, he just, you know, and he just hit the game was over. But I knew that I got him. Not that I'm trying to trick people, but I'm trying to get people to engage, okay? I'm trying to get people to realize that we serve a God who is infinite. So that means without limitation. So to create the world, to create the universe, it's not a problem for him. To give life is not a problem because he is life. Nobody takes it from him. He is life because God is infinite, okay? Now we're establishing a foundation here before we really dive into Daniel chapter number three. But I want you to have that thought in it because too often I got to remove your objections before I can get you to accept the truth of scripture, okay? So we're just kind of removing some objections here. Because sometimes you'll hear on television or you'll hear from Dr. Phil or Oprah that, hey, it all works, man. We're all going to get there. And I'm here to debunk that. Because true Christ followers know that, wait a minute, John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, not a truth, but the. 
And some people say, well, that's not very tolerant. And I've got a message about tolerance because I've been itching to really talk about is God of the Bible tolerant? And we'll get to that. But in Daniel chapter number three, we're going to see a passage of scripture very much like what we talked about last week in the life of Joseph. Let me give you a little backstory before we really dive into the just several verses in Daniel chapter number three. Here's the backstory in case you're familiar or unfamiliar with it. Daniel starts off in Israel. He is one of the many captives because the king of Babylon, by God, judging the nation of Israel for their idolatry, God allowed the kingdom of Babylon to come and take over Jerusalem, to take over. And this, the, the strategy, because Babylon was the world empire, their strategy was to take people of each culture, of every nation, and indoctrinate them in the ways of Babylonian culture, Babylonian religion, and they just just brainwash them, indoctrinate them, even changing their name to Babylonian deities. And so they kind of had their whole old identity stripped away, and they were given a whole new identity. And we see that not just three Hebrews were taken from there, but we see a lot were. But the four Hebrews that stand out the most are four characters. You may remember them. One who the book is written by and the author of is Daniel, we know that. Some of you, you've named your children Daniel. I have a brother named Daniel. And then you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you've got these four friends. And you see that these four friends really stuck together. And God used these four friends. And then in chapter number three, we see a passage, probably one of the most famous passages about the three. Matter of fact, growing up in in the church, many of you would have favorite Bible stories. And I would bet you this is probably one of your top ten. There's David and Goliath, there's Daniel and the lion's den, there's the Hebrews in the, in the fiery furnace, you've got Samson, you've got all kinds of great Bible stories. But this is one of those that uh, you would just say, that's, that's a go-to, that's a great Bible story. In Daniel chapter number 3, we come to a portion where here King Nebuchadnezzar has built a 90-foot tall statue. It's 9 feet wide, and it's overlaid with gold. And he wants his entire kingdom to come to the plain of Dura and to bow down and to worship this 90-foot statue. Now, to get a picture of 90 feet, this is a huge statue, okay? So 90 feet would be relatively seven to eight stories high. That's 90 feet. This is a huge, huge statue. Just to get a kind of a, a mental picture of how large this statue is. This is just a massive statue, nine feet wide. And here's this statue that's standing there. But it's interesting because in Daniel chapter number two, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And in his dream, he sees a statue. The head is gold. The arms are brass. And then you've got silver. And then it gets down to clay. And we know that those are, those are future kingdoms of the earth. But it's interesting, and then in chapter 2, he has this dream, and in chapter 3, he's building this statue in his dream. It's funny, I could preach a message on don't worship your dreams, okay? Bad stuff will happen. But we don't have time to preach that message, but that would be a good message to preach sometime. But here we come to this passage where he has built this huge statue, and now he's asked everyone to come and worship it. Now, between Daniel chapter number 2 and Daniel chapter number 3, about 20 years have passed, okay? It's not like he had this dream and he said, hey, let's build this thing, okay? It's not like nothing created this statue, okay? It's not like it just happened, okay? It didn't just happen. He had some people, and they built this statue. It took roughly about 20 years, okay? So there's about 20 years between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And let's pick it up beginning in verse number 13 of this passage, okay? Daniel chapter number 3, verse number 13. The Bible says, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Understand, verses 1 through 13 is about the statue, and they were commanded to bow, but there was three Hebrews who wouldn't bow down to the statue. They said, no, we're not going to bow. And they were, somebody came and tattled the king, and now the king is furious that they wouldn't bow to the statue, okay? Wouldn't worship him, okay? And he says, bring them to me. Verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, and then verse 15, it says, Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, 
well. But if you worship not, you should be cast the same hour and in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, I love the way verse 15 starts. I mean, it's not just like, now if you're ready, it's not like, hey, okay, we're going to try this one more time. And if you're ready now, like I know before was a false start. There's a little sarcasm in the Bible, okay? Too often we just read the Bible just kind of blah, 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 okay? You're not watching the Peanuts cartoon. The teacher just want, want, want. That's not what's going on here. Put yourself into the dialogue that's going on here. Here's the King Nebuchadnezzar. He's the, uh, the, the world superpower, and he's kind of, you can see his sarcastic tone like, okay, you three are rulers and leaders. I can't just punish you guys right now. But if you're ready, if you're ready, we'll try this again. Like, there's a lot of sarcasm here. Like, come on, guys, you're messing up the program. Come on, we need to get this thing together. And now we come to verse 16. I love their answer. He said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Let me back up just for a second. At the end of chapter 15, here Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, I'm going to build this statue, you worship, but you know, I'm putting you in the fiery furnace. And then he says this statement, and who is that God that should deliver you out of my hands? He asks the question. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in verse number 16 basically say, we're not going to answer you. Like Nebuchadnezzar just said, hey, what God can save you? And they said, hey, we're not even going to answer that question. It's as almost as they're saying, that's a dumb question. Some of you, you ever been at work and somebody asks you a dumb question? You're just like, I'm not even going to answer that. This is a stupid question. Like, it's not even worth my time. Here's what they're doing. I mean, here's this world superpower, and they're saying, you are asking a really dumb question. Like, at this moment, I mean, it got quiet, like awkward silence. As you could see, like, a couple guys, like, stepping back, like, uh-oh, this is not going to go well. Matter of fact, in verse 15, it says, if it be so, if it be so, like if you're going to throw us in, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy God, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Now, it seems like in verse 17, it says, if it be so, if you're going to throw us in, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But then in verse number 18, it says, but if not, like verse 17, they're so confident. This plays into that dual part of us. So this is what we're really going to get to, because this is how sometimes I feel. I feel duplicit. I feel like a Christian schizophrenic sometimes, to be honest. Like, good days and bad days. Spiritual days, super unspiritual days. And here in this same verse, at first glance, I was thinking, wow, these guys just flip-flop. Like, you got this amazing statement, like, our God is able, our God can, our God is big, our God is strong. You can hear them almost like chanting it together, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, verse number 18, they say, but if not, like, wait a minute. You just said he could. Now you're saying, now you're waffling on this? And we're going to speak to that this morning, but we're going to need the Lord's help to do so. Let's pray as we jump into our message this morning. For your gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for those that are here. I pray that you would speak to heart. I thank you for those guests that have come this morning. I pray that you would speak to them. I pray that you would use this message and encourage them. I'm so thankful and honored and humbled that I would have the opportunity to stand and deliver a message speaking about God. I pray that you would work in a mighty way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we find ourselves asking God why. Like, God, why, am I, why is life not, not going like I had planned? Why is life difficult? Life shouldn't have been like this. And so instead of asking God, instead of looking to God to his infinite power, you know what we start doing? We start praying, God, I need more protection. That's what we start praying. We start praying, God, change this. There's one of those prayers whenever we travel, we pray and we ask God for traveling mercies. I don't quite know what traveling mercies are, but we still ask for them. It's one of those Christianese things. I, nobody knows, nobody knows the verse, where, where's traveling mercies? But we pray it anyway, and we just kind of, uh, Lord, I need traveling mercies, and I'm going to go. And we got these little prayers, and we're praying for God's protection oftentimes. But through this passage, I don't see the Hebrews praying for protection. Matter of fact, I see them praying for a greater boldness, for a greater stand to say, hey, we're going to do right. And here's my key thought. Here's what I want you to walk away with this morning is our biggest need isn't more protection. It's better perspective. 
And a lot of times we, we as parents, we pray for protection on our children. And then we worry over them when they're out late at night. We pray a protection over our job, like, God, help me keep this job. And we worry over it. Oh, God, I pray that you would help me in this relationship. It's not going so well. I've messed up. I've done some things poorly. And I've made some bad decisions. But, God, help me in my relationship. And we pray for the protection instead of seeing that what we need is a greater perspective. Because when we have this greater perspective of God, it changes the dynamic of everything. And I know this may sound like a rehash of our first message, but it's because I don't want us to walk away from this series not having a better perspective of God. Because too often we do fret and we do worry and we do get discouraged about these little things let me ask you a question as you look over the landscape of christianity who do you look out and say there is a strong christian there is a mighty christian there is one who is strong in faith there is one who is bold in testimony there is one who is rich in love full of grace there is one who speaks truth they are a strong christian we have a god who's infinite we have a father who can do it all. But yet, too often, as we look over the landscape of the church, we see weak and anemic Christians. Let's be honest. It's the reason why that we need 10,000 new churches each year just to keep up with the population growth. That's not even to deal with all the people that still need to come to church. The average church size in America is less than 100 people, folks. Some of you thought we were small. We're average. I hate that, but we're average. Because today, we see more and more people leaving the church than coming to the church. Even though in the 1980s, some of your largest churches were only 5,000 people. Now we have churches that are upwards around 38 and 40,000 people. We have some of the largest churches than any other time in history. But yet, how come more people are leaving the church? And I believe it's because we've told them, pray for better protection. And man, when the job fell through, when the house fell through, when they got sick, they said, God, get me, I'm out. Apparently, God is not infinite because I got sick. Because my spouse left me. My spouse cheated on me. This thing happened to me. Apparently, God is not infinite. Because we've been praying for protection instead of perspective. And I want us to see that through this situation here, I'm asking and praying that God would give us greater perspective. We've often said about people that they were, especially people that, Man, good things happen to him. We say, well, that person was at the right place at the right time, and the right thing happened to them. That's just why. Oh, God bless that person because they were just at the right job at the right time at the right place. Oh, he married her or met him because they were at the right place at the right time. Right? It just all, everything was right, and that's why it worked out. Here's what I want you to see, okay? You as a Christ follower, as a son, child, daughter of God, you are the right place and the wrong circumstances don't matter because did these three hebrews find themselves at the right place at the right time no everything about their life is wrong they were children ripped from their homes in israel okay sold as slaves okay they're given as slaves to raise up and all kinds of their identity was stripped away they were given names here they are supposed to worship jehovah god but shadrach meshach and abednego are three pagan gods of babylon and their names have been changed do you think for them they're like yeah things just really worked out we just kind of man lucked out here no if bad stuff could happen bad stuff happened to these guys and they ripped from their homes, ripped from their communities, ripped from their friends, ripped from their families, and now they're with other Israelites, and we know from Daniel chapter number one, the other Israelites were not too keen on sticking with the traditions and the truths that they had been taught. But we see in Daniel 1.8, we see that Daniel purpose in his heart. Because I want you to understand something. You and I, we will all face opposition. They had some serious opposition. Not only was there a cultural system, not only was there a world philosophy, not only was there a king that was in opposition, they had this opposition. You and I, we had this opposition. The Bible talks about the devil as an opposition. Sometimes we have, because this is his kingdom, this is, there's some opposition. And I want you to understand something. That it wasn't like, hey, they were just at the right place at the right time. That's why they were commanders and leaders. No. It was they were the right people. They were the child, children of God. And God said, hey, it doesn't matter the circumstances. I'm going to work because I am infinite. So circumstances really don't matter to me. And some of you, you feel like, well, until the right circumstances happen, then this God is not infinite. 
And I want you to see through this message that, wait a minute, it's not about the right circumstances for God to be infinite. You see, first of all, I want you to understand something. The opposition wants you to doubt your confidence that he can. You see, in verse number 15, it says, And who shall deliver you out of my hands? And they answer, If it be so, our God, who we serve, is able. I grew up singing this little song in church. Maybe some of you remember it. It goes, He's able, He's able. I know he's able. You're looking at me funny like you've never seen this song. Some of you, anybody ever heard this song? Like five of you. Wow, you're missing out on a great like hymn of our faith, okay? This is great, all right? We would sing this song in children's church where we talked about he's able. God can do it. And when we sing this great little children's song, they're probably singing it right now next door in the other theater. We shall walk over and go listen to them, but we don't have the time for the little field trip, okay? So we're right here, but I want you to understand that here they said that God is able. I want you to understand something. Oftentimes, we confuse trust, faith, and confidence as the same thing in God. And they're three very different things. Because you'll hear somebody say, I'm trusting God. I'm confident in God. And somebody says, I have faith in God. And we think they're all kind of synonymous, but they're not. I want you to hear they are demonstrating confidence in God. Confidence. You say, what is confidence? Confidence is simply a committing to something you are already familiar with. Austin and I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I don't want to raise a sissy for a son at all. So I beat him up, I wrestle, I probably abuse him too much, you know. And we just get on the floor and I punch him a little bit, kind of, you know, a couple blows to the kidneys. No bruising, but, uh, you know, just kind of rough and toughen him up, okay. And we just kind of, I, I just want him to be a man's man. And so we wrestle and we chase. And if he falls down to get a bruise, I don't really care. He runs to his mom and I'm just kind of like, it's all right, you know. And I can set him up on somewhere high and uh, uh, I don't even have to say jump. I just go like this and, man, he's soaring through the air. He's coming. Sometimes I have to be careful because he'll climb up on something and he'll just say, Dad, and as I'm turning, he's already airborne, okay? He's doing the Michael Jackson, the tongue is out. Not Michael Jackson, Jordan, you know, the tongue is out, you know, and he's just flying through the air. And I'm catching him just in time. Why would he jump like that and not you? I mean, you could put him on the same shelf, lift him up there and and say, okay, Austin, jump to me. And he's not going to jump to you. You know why? Confidence. It has nothing to do with faith. He knows you're big. He knows you're strong. He knows you can. And that's what faith is. But confidence says, I know this person's already done it. You see, I want you to understand something. See, God has already taken care of these three Hebrews report in chapter number one. They were put to a test for 10 days. And the Bible shows and illustrates that test that they came through and they shine and God elevated them to a greater position. And the Bible even says that they were 10 times better than everybody else. 10 times. That's incredible there. And so they had faced this test and they were not just trusting God. They were confident in God. How's your confidence in God? Hey, God has shown himself infinite in your life. If you would trace the history of life, you'll see some things that God was there and he did. And they exercised confidence in God. Their confidence was so strong. Get this. They were willing to suffer than sin. They said, we would rather suffer than sin. How many of you have you faced that choice? You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So my boss wants me to sign off on something that I know is wrong. But if I sign off on it, I might get a little kickback, a little bonus. Oh. But if I don't, hmm, man, then I'm not going to be in the good old boys club. And they're they're going to think that I, I I'm you know like a stick in the mud. I, I don't want uh, to. Then I'm not going to be cool. I'm not going to be in the in crowd. Or for the students, you know, if, if I don't lie, and if I don't cheat, and if I don't lie to this person, and if I don't tell my parents this, then 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 I'm going to look like the wrong type of person here. So no, no, I would rather sin than suffer. That's what you and I choose, oftentimes. But they didn't just say, "Hey, we would rather suffer than sin." They said, "Hey, we would rather die than disobey." That's some serious confidence. That's the type of confidence they exercise in their God who they said, this God is infinite. This God can take care of us. This God will come through. They had that confidence. But then what about the very next verse where it says, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy God. What about that? You see, confidence is always based in the past. Trust is always based in the future. You see, they were trusting that God could. Like if you got the notice from the doctor, you would trust that God would heal you. 
If you got the pink slip in your box, you said, my job is over. You would trust God that he'd provide for you. Are you in the future? No, but you're trusting God. Trust is future-based, okay? And so here, at this point, they're not being duplicit. They're not saying, oh, I had faith, and now I'm really worried about it because now the king, he didn't go for a bluff. He, I, thought, I thought if we three stood together, you know, um, we would kind of have a little bit more leverage, but apparently we have no leverage, and now we're going to die, so now I'm really worried that this is going to go bad. No, at this point now, they're saying, now we're going to trust God. Now we've just got to depend on God. And now they put their trust in God, and they were trusting that God would see them through and many people, this is where we get confused. This is where we get angry at God. And we say, God, I wouldn't do it that way. Why did you make us trust you? God, why do I have to go through this? And we start to doubt God. And then I remember a great quote by this old preacher. He's, he's long dead, but uh, he's still on the radio. You can find him. They've got his recordings. And um, his name's J. Vernon McGee. And you can get J. Vernon McGee, and you can listen to J. Vernon McGee, and he's got that... That, that deep, raspy voice, and J. Vernon McGee talks, and, you know, kind of got that, 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 that preacher kind of voice. And I love this quote. It was so simple. He said, speaking of God, because sometimes we have a hard time trusting, he said, this is God's universe, so he does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. And he said it just like that, and it's kind of like, that's it. Like, I may think my way is better, but I'm not infinite, and I didn't create the universe. God did. He's got a universe to back up his way. So all of a sudden, when we say, well, God, why? Why this way? And God says, I created the universe. I'm infinite. And here's the hardest part. Sometimes we feel like, well, if I could just understand God, it would make it all better. And I know last week we said it took Joseph 20 years to understand. 20 years to understand but let me use a personal illustration. My grandmother immigrated to the States right after the Second World War, and some of you know my story. And she wasn't here very long, still didn't speak the language, had five children. The, her husband was a mechanic, worked in a factory. And one day, my dad, who was eight years old, who was the third oldest, fourth oldest, they were playing out in the backyard, and in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you've got these narrow backyards and you've got the garage off to the side and then you got these alleyways here in california we don't have alleys and um, they were playing and his older brother ran into the alley and got struck by a car he didn't live very long after that his older brother's a few years old tragic loss terrible like how do you reckon with that like how do you how do you just move to this country you, you believe you're doing what god wanted you to do all of a sudden god takes your oldest son and I remember talking to my grandmother when she was out here this summer, and uh, my wife and I, Jane, we were talking to her, and she said, you know, like, I don't really understand. And she kind of gave me a reason why she thought God took her son, but she really didn't have a reason. you got to understand, my dad now, who is eight years old, is now 58, so it's been 50 years. She doesn't have a reason. But has she stopped going to church? No. Has she stopped loving God? No. She loves him more than ever. But three months after that, after her oldest son was hit by a car, her husband goes in not feeling well. He's in the hospital day after day after day and just kind of getting worse. Back then, children weren't allowed to go to the hospital. So I, as you talk to my dad, he said he was only eight years old. And he said how he just remembered his dad going to the hospital. He was waiting for him to come home. His dad was in the hospital for about a month. In the middle of the night, my grandmother got the phone call that her husband now passed away. Three months after her oldest son passed away. She had four kids, didn't speak the language, didn't work a job, and she's in a foreign country. Many of us would say, trust God, brother. Really? Can I punch you in the face? <laughs> like, that's, that, that would be my reaction. Like, like, you'll, you'll understand it better by and by. One day, one day you'll understand. One day it'll make sense. It's been 50 years. Here's her best answer. She said, God knew I couldn't raise five kids, so she, so she said he took one home because he knew I could only raise four. Like, that's the only reason she could come up with, with why God took her oldest son. And some of you feel like, well, well, one day I will understand it. And if you're holding out for that hope, you're going to be very, very discouraged by your faith. 
and you're going to call me up and say, why? And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say, I don't know. I'm not infinite. God is. These Hebrews, they didn't know if God would. They didn't know that, that, that God would come through. They were trusting that he could because God can and God is willing, but will God? And sometimes we're asking, God, I want this to make sense. I want this to make sense. I want this to make sense. And God is saying, I am God. And if everything made sense to you, I would cease to be God. And some of us, we're stepping back. We're saying, well, well, if it didn't make sense to me, then it just, just doesn't make sense. And some of you have made an idol out of everything's just got to make sense to you. That we just have to know. Really what we're doing is we're saying, God, I need you to come down to my level. And I need you because you owe me an answer. And God says, that's not what an infinite God does. And I know, I know for somebody who says, well, I'm a secularist or I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. Your argument is the classic argument. Like who can argue with a God who has, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have to be accountable. Like, like. Yeah, of course, that's the perfect argument. Nobody can, nobody can account for that. But God says, no, 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 that's my character. Because I am infinite. I don't owe you this big explanation. Romans eleven thirteen says, Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. He says, his ways are above your ways. We won't understand like God. God is saying, hey, it's past finding out. You're not going to be able to figure this one out if you tried. And some of us, we feel like, well, we just need an answer. And here these Hebrews are saying, you know what? We are confident that he can, but we're trusting that he will. And that's where you and I, it's a day-to-day trust. Because God is building our dependence, Christian. Because if you know, what about, then you don't need to depend. You don't. You maybe some of you watch a movie like I watch a movie. If I if I'm not at the theater, if I'm watching it at home, I love the fast forward button. Like let's get past the suspenseful part and let's just get to the happy ending, where the good guy wins, the bad guy goes to jail. Like that's 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 me. And sometimes we want to do that in life, don't we? Like let's just God, let's just skip to the happy ending, like cure cancer, like marriage restored, like new and better job, like graduated high school already, like. Yes, I do marry my girlfriend. Like, all this stuff does work out. Yes, I do go this, and all this stuff happens. Like, can we just skip? And God says, no, no, you have to trust. You have to depend on me. Because it's a day-by-day, step-by-step, utter dependent on God. And a lot of us, we don't like that part of Christianity, that we are utterly dependent on him, that we need him each and every day. So we see that God is infinite, and because God is infinite, we see that, hey, we are confident that he can, but we're trusting that he will. But I want you to see, lastly, the opposition wants to destroy your faith that he even did. You see, many times people will say, hey, all this stuff that you believe, it never even happened. They're just trying to erase it and just steal our faith. But I want you to see in this passage, I love how it ends. We're in chapter 3, notice this. Verse number, let's start in... Verse 24, or 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loosed, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth, come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. The princes, the governors, the captains, the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was any hair of their head singed, neither was their coats changed, nor the smell of the fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. Did you change? Did you see that? Here's Nebuchadnezzar saying, hey, they've changed my mind through all this. Like before, remember what he was saying? He was saying before, hey, what God can stand up to me? Verse number 15. 
He said, hey, like, like, is there a God who shall deliver you out of my hand? My mom met Andre the Giant. Some of you would know Andre the Giant. Some of you wouldn't. But uh, Andre the Giant was a very large man. He lived up by Fresno. And one time um, we were at this hotel where our church met. And my mom met Andre the Giant. She shook his hand. And my mom was about five foot two, five foot three, not very tall. Andre the Giant's just huge. He put his hand out there, and it was like a catcher's mitt. And his was just, and my mom's hand was just like, whoop, gone, just enveloped, like her whole arm. Like, can I have my arm back now, Andre? Like, you know, like, can I have this back? Here is Nebuchadnezzar. He said, who shall take you out of my hand? And God says, really, your hand is very small compared to the hand of God. Because my hand is infinite. I can do it. And I love it that the king said, hey, you have changed my word. What I said, my mind, my heart is changed. He says, there's no God like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want you to see the opposite. I want you to destroy your faith that he did. Faith is what happens when we see all this. Okay, now, we said all this. Here's three points, and we're going to close, okay? This is what I want you to take home today. Opposition doesn't prevent the power of God. Whatever opposition you're facing does not prevent the power of God. Whatever you're facing this week in your home, in your life, it cannot prevent the power of God, okay? What we saw here, here King Nebuchadnezzar tried to thwart the power of God. They couldn't, okay? No power on earth, no opposition can prevent the power of God. Also, I want you to see the opposition will prevail when they get you to doubt the power of God, though. That's when opposition prevails, when you begin to doubt. That's what happened in Genesis chapter number three. We see Adam and Eve, they questioned God because the serpent said, hey, yea, hath God said, like question God's character, his goodness, his love for you. But when you start to doubt, when you start to question God, all of a sudden, that's when the enemy does begin to prevail. But I want you to see opposition doesn't prevent the power of God. But lastly, opposition provides an opportunity to prove the power of God. Many of you, you're, you're trying to run from the situation. You're saying, God, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I'm the right person, so change my situation, change my circumstances. And God says, you're the right person at the right time, at the right place, even though it seems like the wrong circumstances, because I am going to showcase my strength through you in this place, okay? So God is saying, hey, opposition is my opportunity to prove something through you, okay? We as Christians need the opposition we do. And I know sometimes we hate the opposition, but we need it. It's what builds strength. It's what builds faith in your life. Some of you, you don't understand that the burden that you're carrying right now is to increase your shoulders to carry the blessing that is to follow. Some of us, you just don't understand that God is trying to get you to enlarge your scope, to enlarge your vision, to enlarge your view of God so that you can conceive deeper and bigger things. Right now, my daughter, the biggest number she can conceive of is 100. It's just like, 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 Megan, how much money do you want? Uh, $100. Okay, not a problem. I could take care of that. Some of you, you can think of much larger. Why? Because your vision, your mind is so much bigger, and you're like, I'm going to go Obama on you. I'll take $16 trillion. You know, I mean, I'm just, you know, some of you are just, that's how you think, you know. You're just like, I can think of a number because my mind is so much bigger. And it's why? Because we've gotten a bigger view. And so the opposition helps us to get a bigger view of God. So this week, when you're saying, I'm really tired of this, God. God, I want out of this. And God's saying, I'm using this opposition to prove something through you. So don't fight it and don't get upset and don't slap the cat. No, no. Kick the cat. Slap the cat. Get rid of the cat, okay? Keep the dog, all right? But I'm telling you what, God wants to prove something through your life because opposition provides the opportunity to showcase the power of God. Because our biggest need isn't protection. It's greater perspective, Christian. It's greater perspective. We have to end with this question. Who in the landscape of the church do you see as strong as mighty? It's a good question. It's one where we should say, God, I want to be that person. God, I want to be someone who can showcase your strength. God, I've been, I've been really irritated at the opposition of my life. I've been really frustrated with it all. I've been about ready to just kind of give up on it because I didn't understand the purpose. I'm so worried about God. When are you going to fix it instead of saying, God, uh, now I see some purpose. It, it's, it's, you're trying to build me. That, God, you want to do something through me. That, God, you want to use me. You see, the point is so much bigger. And I'm going to close with an illustration. I may have shared it a long time ago when we first started the church, but I'll share it again. Fictional story, of course, but God comes to a man in a dream. And this man lives in a mountain in a cabin by himself. And God comes to him and says, tomorrow there's going to be a boulder out in front of your house. And I want you to push that boulder tomorrow. 
This man gets up the next morning and goes out, and then he's going to push on this boulder. And he gets out, and, man, there's a huge boulder. And he gets against it. Well, God told me to push on the boulder. Man, he pushed on that boulder and pushed on that boulder. That boulder didn't budge one inch. didn't even move. The guy is frustrated, discouraged. He goes in, has lunch, goes back out. And then once again after lunch, he starts pushing on this boulder a second time, pushing, pushing. Nothing's happening. But God asked him to push this boulder. God told him to push the boulder. So day after day, this man just pushes this boulder, pushes this boulder. Nothing happens. Day after day, week after week, month after month, he pushed this boulder. Finally, after six months had gone by, he threw up his hand and said, forget it. He goes to bed that night just discouraged, just feeling like a failure, just feeling like, God, that, that was a waste. Six months of my life, gone. Goes to bed, and God appears to him in the dream. And God said, why did you stop pushing the boulder? Gets upset. God, why would you ask something impossible of me? God, why would you tell me to do that? God, I, you know I can't push that boulder. You know I can't move that boulder, God. Why would you ever want me to do that? God lovingly said, come here. Stand in front of this mirror. I want you to see something. Stand in front of the mirror, and God says, look at your arms. Look at his arms. Where once they were just normal arms, now that they were grizzled and tan and muscled. Whoa, I'm old. He said, look at your shoulders. Where once they were just normal, now they were just like an ox, built, strong. He said, look at your neck. He said, now look at your legs. They're like tree trunks. You're a linebacker. And he said, the point wasn't for you to move the rock. It's not about what you accomplish for God. It's about what you become. Many of you today, you are so fixated on accomplishment. I have to be CEO. I got to make a million I gotta have perfect kids. I gotta have that car. I gotta have that job. I gotta have that spouse. I've gotta have that career. I gotta make pro. I gotta do this, and I gotta do it before 21, or I gotta do it before I'm 50, and I gotta have grandkids, or I gotta get married, or I gotta get this, and I have to do that. And God's saying, You're so focused on accomplishment, but you're missing the point of what I want to do in you. It's all about you. See, God's infinite power. God says, I can take care of that. But if we're so fixated that, no, 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 if it's going to be, it's up to me. And God says, no, no, trust me. Because when we see when God is infinite, that we understand that God can, that God will, and God did. We're going to see that God did. We're going to be able to look back in our life and see that God did take care of things. God has met our needs all throughout our life. He's done that. Heads bowed and eyes closed.